welcome back to the Live Oak Novel Review. In this episode, we review Chapter 4. The chapter begins from a new character's perspective, David Howard, and then transitions back to Shayla Palmer. So far, we have seen individuals in hopeless situations fighting against the cold, oppressive system. David Howard, however, is eternally optimistic, clearly good person in the world. Howard serves to present an important balance in the novel. I could have went um, the route of depicting everything and everyone is terrible, but I do believe there are many who are truly incredible, altruistic, unselfish, and have a genuine desire to make the world a better place. Now, the cynical element could be that Howard is young, only 16, and has not truly discovered the ugliness of the world. However, I wanted to present him as uh, clear as he hopefully is from his perspective. He is hardworking, has civic pride, and can see things at a micro level. Whatever the outcome of his efforts, they are pure, and there is a sliver of a chance that there will be a positive impact. After the segment from David Howard's perspective, we move back to Shayla, observing Howard doing yard work for a few weeks later. Uh, she is intrinsically attracted to Howard and dwells on how her experiences have warped her mind to believing anyone can be attractive. Shayla is almost the counter to Howard in a way, twisted, out for some greater gain or personal accolade, and selfish. However, the intention is to also illustrate a glimmer of hope. Shayla sees her fellow halfway house members as crass and begins to hint at a potential change. Also, David, as being a polite teenager, also helps Shayla realize that she does not have long until she loses her son, Kadeem, completely. Soon he'll be a similar age as Howard, and develops a full understanding of how awful she has been to him. So, with more genuine motivation, Shayla is ready to make a change um, to her life, and hopefully to get Kadeem back. Inspiration. This novel, in many ways, is about atrocities and systematic oppression. These are elements that are so ubiquitous, it can be difficult to put a face to it. If I wanted to examine these elements, I thought it was important to try to depict it in three dimensions. Although there are obvious victims of these mechanisms, or people simply feeling that they are trapped or against um, an immovable force, I believe there are many people who are near immovable force for good as well. It can be hard to be charitable in a way. As we see with David Howard, his peers feel he is up to something, that there surely has to be some sort of angle. Even Shayla is suspicious and can't quite comprehend why this young man would simply um, volunteer. However, when you walk back on all of the evils of society, uh, we are a society after all. We all adapt and sacrifice to help others. Yes, often not for free, but there's something intrinsic in people 
to help because it is simply the right thing to do. We are a weak species without each other and our capacity for imagination, for empathy. Characters like Howard were essential for me to include. Those people that truly make it a good place to be. Craft and structure. A theme within this chapter would certainly be uh, rehabilitation. We see the joy David Howard experiences when cleaning the backyard and restoring this disheveled house into something beautiful once again. This is his outlook on life, making things better. Beyond illuminating tragedies people face in the world, I'd hope this idea is apparent and can come off genuine. Shayla is on her own rehabilitation journey. If Shayla came off somewhat unlikable in the previous chapter, hopefully there are some details we can sympathize with in this one. As the chapter concludes, Shayla makes David Howard promise not to let the world swallow him up. Howard is Shayla's symbol of purity and innocence, that good person that is still out there and in this otherwise treacherous world remains good. Chapter 4, Part 1. Some 16-year-old Tinu, kids from Dublin High, would probably still be sleeping at 6 a.m. on a Saturday or waking up from a hangover. But David Howard looked over the jungle of the broke-down Germantown mansion backyard and picked up his scythe, called a weed cutter today. He could see there was something good under all the overgrown weeds and wildflowers, something that would reflect his hard work and care, something beautiful. There had to be another reason, some of his incredulous friends had asked him, as to why he would be wasting a Saturday doing volunteer work. Jenkins joked that David must have been a secret badass who vandalized a whole cul-de-sac and he was rehabilitating this old house in the ghetto as some community service sentence. Haynes speculated that his parents were forcing him to do it, which was partially true, as they were working on the project as well, but David wouldn't classify it as his parents forcing him. He told his friends he genuinely wanted to help, and his parents, nor the church, were forcing him to do anything. They then turned it around on him, saying, well, you're all just a bunch of Bible thumpers trying to convert the ghetto denizens through fixing up their houses. You nuts just want more followers. Now for this, perhaps they spoke some partial truths. Yes, he attended church and was involved, but he liked some of the messages of the Bible and being with some of the church members, but that was about it. He had no interest in believing every word of the Bible as having actually happened, and in fact, noticed some inconsistencies that got him thinking some of it may be fiction. There were some good ideas in it. How was it any different than liking a book or seeing the truth in what a philosopher might say? Beyond that, he had absolutely no interest in converting people to his church. However, if he had any sinister reason, it would be in maybe converting people's attitudes slightly. Not like thank you for saving us kind of way, but just setting a positive example for people. Was there any harm in that? Plus, he liked the idea of seeing something that was broken or in disrepair and helping to fix it. That was at least the self-gratifying aspect for David. Not getting his picture in the paper just being able to say to himself that he helped to make something better. They still didn't believe him after all of that and shook their heads and felt sorry for him. He didn't care. It made him feel good. Using the scythe was the easy part, just freely swinging and cutting down all of the wild growth, hearing the swoosh of the blade in the air and the thwack of the plant's stem as it collapsed to the ground. The growth was so condensed that he could scarcely see his own feet as he walked and stepped circumspectly, 
fearing stepping on a thorn, a shard of glass, or a possible snake. The sun was beginning to peak above the buildings, and the sky was copper-colored, with streaks of gray sifting up as the night gave way to day. As he worked on clearing the backyard, his father was setting up the ladder to sand away the old chipped paint siding, and his mother was inside peeling off old wallpaper with her friend and fellow parishioner, parishioner Nancy. Father Leonard was on his way to look at the electric with a contractor friend of his, and Ralph had just arrived to haul out the old vanity and sink from the bathroom. It amazed David that so many people were sacrificing their day off to help. People had the ability to provide such generosity and kindness. Part of it was because they knew how good it felt, like you weren't doing it to be paid just to help people out. The other part of it was the wonderful pioneering spirit and sense of civic and communal duty. So many people he knew, like many of his friends, just liked to complain. They'd complain about their parents or school or their teachers or coaches, and also about politicians and government not doing enough. Yet these kids never did anything about it or got so overwhelmed that they didn't even try. Nothing was going to be automatic, and if most people didn't see an immediate change, they just gave up. If they didn't like how their parents treated them, then maybe just try to be a little more polite or be a little better at what they asked them to do. Eventually, the relationship would be better for everyone. Same with school. Those who complained did nothing to get involved. Teachers and coaches too. Just try harder and they'd surely get off your backs eventually. And so David and everyone involved were doing this small thing to make the neighborhood a slightly better place. And maybe those unfortunate women who were set up to stay there would feel at home in this nice place and really get their lives on the right track. These women could regain their autonomy and be inspired to pursue their dreams and put their old troubled lives behind them. And the neighborhood, city, state, and country would be slightly better off because of it. If only more people could think this way rather than get overwhelmed with how bad things were. If they just helped out a tiny bit, the world would be a tiny bit better. It wouldn't be perfect and never would be, but we'd be happy to fix it. So David swung away with a smile on his face, thinking about how this little bit might do a little bit of good. Part two, Shayla was out of jail for a week and adjusting to life in the halfway house. There were six other girls who lived in the house as well, and they got along well enough. It was essentially the same rules as prison. Stay in your lane, don't ask too many personal questions, keep your area tidy, and don't take anyone's stuff. Miss Emily set her up with the house therapist, Cassandra, for twice a week, individual sessions, in which she and Cassandra went over job options, how she was feeling in terms of her sobriety and her plans for the future. Cassandra also conducted group sessions three times a week, which involved some sharing, but also appropriate coping mechanisms to stay on track. Now that she was out, she kept it in her mind to stay out. When she had moments of weakness, Cassandra would remind her to find her spark, that one clear goal that could only be achieved by maintaining self-discipline and not succumbing to temptation. For Shayla, the spark was obviously to Dean. So many years she wasted thinking about herself and not trying to build a relationship with him. So many milestones missed birthdays, school, sports, whatever interests he may have now. She formed the habit of sitting on the back porch in the evenings and watching the peewee football players practicing on the field across the street. She imagined Kadeem was one of those players, running around in his oversized helmet and shoulder pads. He was nearly 13, and she figured this would be her last chance to be his mother, to be there for him before he became mature or grew bitter and rejected her on his own. He was so close to the cynicism and held grudges that come with growing up. This was it. It was time to get her life in order. After that night at the club, she started to get wrapped up in Lonnie and Pretty Boy and the whole lifestyle of lounging around, sipping beer and smoking weed at Lonnie's ramshackle studio and going out to the clubs at night. 
She had told Lonnie that she felt funny about that night in his room, but he assured her she was fully into it. And that was all part of the business in a way. She didn't buy that for a moment, but what difference did it make? You couldn't just be a pretty girl and make it as some supermodel or actress. There were surely these constant hoops you had to go through and sacrifices you had to make. She told herself it was either working at a grocery store and working her butt off only to be a hairdresser or something of that nature, barely able to provide for Kadeem and likely trapped at her parents' house, which wasn't fair to them either, or go to some parties or clubs, do some favors for guys you may not even be that attracted to, but who have some money and might know a few of the right people. She'd put herself out now so she and Kadeem could have a good future later. Shayla figured she believed this was flimsy logic even back then, but it was what she needed to tell herself to make it all justified. In reality, she was just out having a good time, only worrying about herself and basking in the attention she was receiving, wiping away her regret and worry with alcohol or marijuana, feeling good in the moment and not caring about much else. Her parents grew furious with her and constantly told her she was running away from her responsibilities. In their shouting matches, her mother would remind Shayla of all the sacrifices they had made to help Shayla raise Kadeem, repeatedly saying, this is your child, not mine. You need to grow up and be a mother. She resented all of this, like she hadn't made sacrifices herself. Was it fair that she had to give up her future and her dreams because of one bad mistake after the sophomore dance? Even back then, she felt stuck, arrested. It made her both bitter and inspired. Bitter of this unfair fate and admittedly bitter towards Kadeem's existence, while also inspired to do whatever she could to prove her mother wrong, to get out of the shadow of this double guilt of young motherhood and her mother having to step in as mother to this child who was not her own. She started out gradually by drinking less at night and being less promiscuous. In this high roller adult world, this prudence worked to her advantage as men showered her with expensive jewelry and gifts for her attention. She would unabashedly needle them for more and more until they were giving her nearly $500 to $1,000 for some type of sexual favor. Some men knew her price and they skipped the whole song and dance. They would pay her, she'd give them what she wanted. End of transaction. Lonnie and Pretty Boy seemed to vanish away to New York and she heard Pretty Boy was arrested on a possession with intent to sell charge. So she ended up just going to the clubs now, hoping another big time producer, rapper, or other big shot would come her way. However, for the time, she was content with having a few drinks and earning incredible amounts of money. At home, she would spend the days with Kadeem, intentionally stepping up to change every diaper or feed him every meal and play with him in order to prove her mother wrong. To cover for her nights of partying, she would tell her parents she had to work the night shift at the grocery store or sneak back home early in the morning, feign a few minutes of sleep, and then rise like it was a regular day and go to work. For those days when she actually had to go to work, she would do a few bumps of cocaine or an upper to make it through the day. Although Shayla was skilled in masking this other life, her mother was still suspicious and would hound her about her drug use, having a sixth sense for such symptoms for being a social worker. Still, it was all speculative, and before long, Shayla had enough money to move her and Kadeem into an apartment on 18th Street. She and her mother had a final spout as she was moving, and Shayla told her mother she would not visit her grandson in the new apartment. Part of that was a spiteful decree and part because she knew the life could get a little bit hairy and her mother would likely see things she would not approve of. When Shayla was alone, this was when her life was really out of control. She immediately quit the grocery store and left nights knowing she would be using her body to make money. A friend in the neighborhood would watch Kadeem and Shayla would be out drinking and mixing with whatever party drug was around and being a little slut for whoever wanted it and could pay for it. And she would wake up in the morning with Kadeem wailing and her head splitting and bits of the night missing. 
but feeling that she was no good and took a few pulls from whatever liquor bottle was available in the kitchen until she was no longer shaking and was at peace with herself and what she had become. In the back of the hall, halfway house was a nice strip of grass and a flower garden on both sides. Coneflowers and flocks rested along the fence and there was a little birdhouse that looked like one of those red Amish barns. One of the activities Cassandra suggested was for the women to work on maintaining the garden that the volunteers had planted. That seemed peaceful enough to Shayla and it would be a good activity to take her mind off of her anxieties and Kadeem and sobriety. As she daydreamed, the backyard door swung open and a tall white boy entered with a lawnmower. He was 6'4", scrawny, and seemed comically out of place here. Yet he was grinning and didn't appear the least bit intimidated by his surroundings. He stopped pushing the mower until he was right below Shayla. Hi, miss, do you mind if I mow the yard? I'm a volunteer from St. Peregrine's Church, he said cheerfully. Go right ahead, honey. Thank you, sweet thing, she responded in a sultry voice, inadvertently talking to him like he was a potential client. She lit a cigarette and watched him mow. His body was lean and she could see his bicep and tricep muscles pulled taut as he pushed the mower back and forth. There seemed to be not an ounce of fat on him and he could have used a few pounds to be honest. Shayla couldn't help but feel an attraction to him. Some twisted impulse that arose from years of her trying to justify some semblance of sexual attraction from even the most repugnant of men. She would tell herself that a pop Ellie was cute like a pig and detonated strength like some type of warrior king whose gluttony was his power, or a wrinkled or pockmarked face were the markings of experience and a person in a rough spot, triggering her sense of sympathy to propel her into satisfying that poor soul. It was wrong to lust after this kid, but she couldn't help it. She was contorted long ago and there was nothing she could do about it. Two of the other girls, Sonia and Jackie, joined her on the porch and immediately squealed when they saw David mowing. That white boy is fine, Jackie said while sitting down next to Shayla. Mm, a tall drink of water, too, Sonia agreed. These two women were about 10 years older than Shayla and were acquainted with each other prior to entering the halfway house. They were natural commentators, as Shayla liked to put it. They had the need to interject their opinion on everything, from watching the news or sitcom or seeing a new person pass down the street. It was all mainly in jest, and their talk was usually so inconsequential, just noise, like birds chirping in the trees. I'd give him a special discount, I'll tell you that. Like that swimmer boy, Michael Phelps, Sonia continued. Wouldn't mind seeing him in those tiny trunks. He'd get a good old medal for me. Would you two stop? He's just a boy, Shayla interjected. Oh, we know that. We're just having some fun. Not much else to do around here. Maybe Shayla wants him all to herself, Jackie added, and began to laugh, opening her mouth wide, exposing her missing incisor and canine that a cop knocked out while wrestling her to the ground one time. You like them white boys, Shayla? Maybe he's rich and can just whisk you away. He couldn't handle me, Shayla responded with a smirk. Although they were just kidding, she was comforted in knowing that they had found him attractive too. They talked some more and then returned inside to watch some TV. Shayla remained outside and watched the young man. He worked with his precision as if every move he made was planned out and intended to yield the highest efficiency. He was a handsome young man, but Jackie and Sonia's joking spoiled the actual attraction she held for him. Now she was just fascinated about this young man and thought about why he was here. By the time he was finished, the sun was nearly set. He wheeled the mower to the front of the porch in the way of signaling that he was finished. Is there anything else you need me to do? He asked with some shortness of breath. No, thank you so much. Will you be coming over often? Yes, whatever I can. I'm pretty handy, so please let me know if you need anything. The church is working to get you ladies a lawnmower you could keep here and use. 
They tend to think it would be a healthy chore, along with gardening. Shoot, I don't think I've ever even lived in a place with a enough lawn to mow. My mom used to pay a boy $5 a week to cut her little patch in the front yard. I don't mind teaching you or any of the other ladies how to do it. It's really quite easy. You should have seen the yard a few weeks back. I bet. Well, it looks beautiful. Thank you for all your hard work. You sure seem like a nice kid to help out like this. Don't you have any girls you should be chasing? He blushed. Not at the moment, but thank you. I don't mind doing it. And you aren't scared to be out here? Almost nighttime and all? No. Should I be? Some folks from, who aren't from around here are. You do have to watch yourself. I know. I try to be smart about things, but I'm not scared. Do you live in the suburbs? Yes. People from the suburbs are sometimes scared to be around here. I'll admit it's much different, but I just like to help out. I'm sure it sounds corny. This ain't for some community service hours or a school project or anything. Probably looks good for college. David smiled. No, nothing like that. It's sort of hard to explain, but I really like to make things better. Like when I was younger, I used to get old bikes from garage sales and fix them up. New tires, brakes, paint job, everything. I don't know. Maybe I just don't like to throw anything away. But I kind of see potential in things that are old or in disrepair. It's a good feeling, like bringing something back to life. Folks have been trying to do that to me for years now. Your folks brought you? Yeah, I think so. What do you want to do when you're older? I'm not sure. I'm pretty good at math. Maybe something like that. I see that. All problem solving and whatnot. Well, young man. David. Well, David, you're one fine kid. Promise me you won't let this world swallow you up. He laughed nervously to himself. Okay, I promise. And he loaded the mower into his truck and drove back home. Thank you very much for listening and your continued support. Join us next time as we review Chapter 5. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Matthew Glasgow Author and visit Amazon for reading options. Until next time.